again to the Perimeter Church podcast. Entering into Jerusalem to the cheers of the crowd, it would seem that the king had arrived, but not without resistance, as the coming week would reveal. Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us this Palm Sunday message entitled Clashing Kingdoms, which covers Mark chapter 11, verses 7 to 19, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. I'm not a volleyball expert by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I've really not watched that much volleyball, but enough to, uh, to know that there is a person known as a setter. I was, uh, I was just reading about the role of a setter in volleyball. You know what the setter is? Do most of you know just by the, by the name? Well, that's the person that takes the ball and flips it up just where the, the person can come in and the hitter can take that ball and hopefully slam it into a win. And we always see the, the strength and all of that, of that uh, hitter who rises up so high and knocks that ball down. But you know, if you think about it, as this particular article was saying, a team is only as good as its setter. You gotta have a good setter. I was thinking this week as I was preparing my message and had pretty much come full, full through the, the entire message, and it hit me, I, I, was, approaching, I was approaching this the wrong way. Uh, I was thinking in terms of two hits instead of a setter and a hit. I decided I think that I could prepare you far better for this holy week if we use this Sunday to be a setter. We'll set up because the pinnacle of all events is the one next Sunday, the resurrection. This is what we call Palm Sunday. And so this week, what we're going to do is we're going to focus our attention on, on the story first, just so we understand the coming into Jerusalem and Jesus and what that meant and why he did it. We want to understand Palm Sunday. But next week is when we will, will actually tell the story and help us understand. We'll have a, a text that's going to take us right into the greatness of the, of the issue of resurrection and what happened. This week, though, I'm going to take a second text, and I'm going to use the same second text next week. I'll have a first, but this will be the second, and I'm going to use the same text both weeks. This week, it's going to be the setter. I'm not going to teach the whole of the text. I'm going to teach the text as if I'm sitting with a group of Christian brothers and sisters who really want to see and understand this whole picture of what's happening. Then I'm going to turn around and when I come to the second text, the same text we'll use today as our second text, I'm going to show it from the perspective of the seeker. Oh, it'll be very important teaching for the Christian church, but my first audience when I come to that second text next week is going to be those of you that are here as seekers today. And the many people that we'll event, invite, people that come, we're going to see it in a totally different perspective because I want to dig into some things then 
that I think are more important to look at something else from the text for you today. So with that, I'm going to invite you to pray with me, and then we're going to jump right into it, okay? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we come to this uh, first great event of Holy Week, we pray that we might get a perspective and a sense and an understanding of what's happening on this day, those many years ago, that's going to change our perspective of thinking and life and how we wake up in the morning, every aspect of our life. That would be a treat of treats if you would do that in our hearts. So, Father, awaken us to the truth behind the great text that we look at on this day. Bless us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Whether it's elementary school, whether it's an inner city youth gang, whether it's a political party, it doesn't matter. When you've got two truly strong leaders with different ideologies and they fight for what they believe in, there's going to be a clash And eventually, one is going to win out over the other. It always happens that way. Such is the case in the spiritual world as well. You see, there are two leaders, strong leaders, that enter into the picture of Scripture. And these two leaders are very familiar to us. We use the biblical language of kingdom. Each has a kingdom. One is Satan, and he has what's called the kingdom of the world, and there is Christ, our Jesus, who is the leader of the kingdom of God. And these two are in an incredible clash of ideologies. I mean, absolutely opposites, no doubt about it. Kingdom. Do you know that you cannot have a kingdom without three components? Always know this, a kingdom. When you, and by the way, you're going to see, I hope from now on, as you start reading Scripture, you're going to see the word kingdom more than you've ever seen it in Scripture. It really is throughout. It's just all over the place. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. It's either alluded to, it's spoken of. It's very prominent in the Word of God. But you've got to have three things. First of all, you've got to have a king. That's obvious. If you're going to have a kingdom, you've got to have a king. You've got to have, you've got to have subjects to the king. They've got to be those that are a part of that kingdom, so you have your subjects. But you also have to have the reign of the king over the kingdom subjects. So if somebody says, hey, uh, I have a kingdom, I'm the king of a kingdom, and where's your reign? Well, I don't reign over anybody, but I'm the king. No, you're not the king. So keep that in mind. As we think kingdom, it's the king, it's the subjects, it's the reign of the king over the kingdom subjects. You know, there is different views of theologians as to how to best interpret the Word of God. There are those that are known as kingdom theologians. They they see the kingdom of God through the lens of kingdom, or they see the Word of God through the lens of the kingdom. Some view it more through the covenants. There are different ways of looking at the Word of God, all very appropriate. But some of the men that marked my life the most, they were, they were kingdom theologians. These were some of my professors when I was in school. And it gave me a, a unique perspective, I think, of being able to look at the Word of God and to, and to think kingdom. And because of that great blessing to me from my perspective, I get the privilege 
very often, not always, but of waking up in the morning and, and thinking kingdom. And being able to get up and think, you know, today this is really, life is about kingdom today. And, and, and there are two kingdoms, and to see certain people, and Carol says, you, you watch people a lot, don't you? And I say, I do. We go to a mall or something, I'm, I'm looking at people. I'm looking at people. She says, why are you looking at people? And sometimes I say, I'm just kind of thinking, I wonder whose kingdom they're in. I wonder, wonder what their role in kingdom is, or if any at all. And I, certainly that's not always what I'm doing as I'm just looking around, but often it does because I keep thinking kingdom kingdom, kingdom. And I think, man, I have not taught enough from the perspective of kingdom to you as a people, because it is critical to see two kings, Satan and Jesus, two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of God, and to understand the whole idea of his reign. Now, prior to Passion Week, just so you understand, prior to Passion Week, it would appear that as these two kingdoms are clashing, it might well appear that, that the kingdom of Satan maybe has the upper hand to some degree. There was a deception going on among the entire world outside of the Jewish people, not that there weren't exceptions in other, other countries, but for the most part, the nation's eyes had been blinded by Satan and the work of his kingdom. His subjects far, far more numerous than those in the kingdom of God. When you saw the clashes taking place between the two kingdom peoples on earth, you'd say, well, it sure appears that the kingdom of this earth is prevailing. You could certainly get that perspective even this day. But certainly at that time, more so than ever, because the nations were blinded as a whole outside the one people of Israel. You're looking, if we could see and peer behind the curtains of eternity and watch God, we read from Scripture that through this period of time up to this week, that the evil one had the right to literally go into the presence of God and to accuse the people that were saying, I'm a subject of the kingdom of God. And literally, they'd say, Satan could say to them, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you claim Jonathan is yours. You claim Elizabeth to be yours, but ho, ho, ho. There's no salvation, just promised, but not executed. There's no salvation because there's no Savior. And according to the evil one, it was his plan there never would be a Savior. And therefore, you see at this particular time, there is a building momentum to this clash these two kingdoms have been hitting each other, hitting each other, hitting each other, and now they are head on, and it's about to get bigger than it's ever been. Takes us to the first of three quick points that I'd like to make about the kingdom. And we'll get into the first text, Mark 11. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark 11. But the first teaching that I think is important for us to think about reads like this. Palm Sunday is the announcement of the coming kingdom. Now, I know that's a little different than what you have in your outlines. Whoever wrote the outlines made a mistake. That was me. That's what happens when you 
when you're out of town on Thursday, uh, when your outline is due in and you are out of town and you come back on Saturday. So anyway, use this one, a little simpler. Palm Sunday is the announcement of the coming kingdom. Now, keep this in mind. Easter next week is going to be the celebrating of the coming kingdom. I always want you to remember that. Palm Sunday, kids, 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 listen up. When you hear Palm Sunday, from now on, Palm Sunday, it's the announcement. It's the announcement of what? The coming kingdom. What is that? You're about to find out. It's the coming kingdom. Easter, what is it? It's celebrating the fact of the coming kingdom. This first Palm Sunday, there's the proclamation of the proclaimed king of kings triumphantly entering the city and announcing about this coming kingdom. Look at Mark 11. Let's read verses 7 through 10. It reads like this. They brought the colt to Jesus, put their coats on it. He sat on it. Many spread their coats in the road and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And look at verse 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the coming kingdom. This is the head-on collision we're talking about. Satan had picked his fight right after creation and decided that he wanted his own kingdom and he would rival the kingdom of God. We come to verses 11 and 12 in your text. And if you want to glance over it, you can, but it simply is telling us that then he enters into Jerusalem. When he gets in Jerusalem, it's late, late in the day. And all he does is he goes to the temple, and interestingly, it just says he looks around into the temple. Do you remember what was going on in the temple at that time? We're about to find out if you're not, but some not so good things were happening in the temple. He didn't do anything about it. He just scoped it out. He looked who was there, what they were doing apparently, looked it over, and then he turns around, and at that point he goes to Bethany. Bethany is about a mile and a half east of Jerusalem, and it says that's where he was staying. We don't know any more detail about who he was staying with, where he was staying, how, but he was in Bethany. But he makes a trip into Jerusalem, he scopes out what's going on, he goes back into Bethany. And then the next day, he comes back into Jerusalem again. And that's where we come to verses 15 and 16. There we read this. Then they came to Jerusalem. He had his disciples with him. He entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. Overturned the, the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. He would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. Then you come to verses 17 through 19. You can scan ahead of that if you'd like. But then he begins to teach the people that are there. After he's flipped over tables, he's run out certain people, he's done all that he's done. Now he begins to teach. And he says, I want to tell you what the temple is supposed to be used for. And he begins to teach. And it says the chief priests and the scribes get really ticked off. I mean, they are so upset. I mean, literally, it says they're seeking to destroy him. But at the same time, it says they're afraid of him. Does it not give you a sense that when a man comes in like this 
and he sees what's happening in the temple and he starts taking tables and flipping them over and pushing people out and saying, get out of here and so forth. I mean, here is one man. His disciples are there. It doesn't say anything about what they do. I mean, who knows what Jesus looked like? Nobody knows. Based on a prophecy of the Old Testament, maybe he was not too becoming in his appearance. We don't know for sure. But we know this, that he had a strength about him that was something that, that caused others to fear him even though they wanted to get rid of him. They were afraid of him. But the same text we're reading, you know what it says? It says the people, the multitudes, as it calls them, they were astonished at his teaching. Here's a man that had a capability of grasping the people of, of whom he was talking and, and getting their attention to. They were just astonished. But at the same time, those that were against him, they were afraid of him. I was talking to a man that I was, I've been sharing Christ with and investigating Christianity, and, and this text came up, and we were talking about it, and when we, when we finished talking about it, the guy says, you know, I, I, I think this Jesus had an attitude. He had an attitude. Uh, he came across kind of hard, didn't he? And my response is, you better believe he did. And with good reason. Because he was getting ready for the fight of his life. Literally. This is just within a week of all-out war within days that the ultimate battle would break out where he would be arrested, he would be crucified, he would die. It would look as if Satan is winning when you come to Palm Sunday. But just wait till Sunday. That's when the kingdom comes. As a result of the kingdom coming, all I'm going to say now until next week, all I'm going to say about the kingdom coming is, at this point, all authority is given to Jesus. Hey, Jesus always had authority. But now, it's authority in a new way. All authority is given to him. Now, I realize there's the ascension that takes place at that time before that as well. But it's with the kingdom coming that all authority would be given to him. The demonic world has always been subject to him. He could cast out demons but now there is a new subjection as has not been before, as now he carries this authority. The gospel is now going out to all peoples where it had not prior to this, not in a way that all peoples equally were receiving truth and open and so forth. The eyes would have been blinded, but now the, it's going to be taken off the nations. Oh, people's individual eyes, I know, are blinded. We read that in the book of Corinthians as, as Paul is talking, but the truth of it is, Across the board of nations, it's a whole new day because God's kingdom has come. And now victory, it has literally been secured. Forever it's been secured. The battles will keep going. There'll still be the clashing kingdoms, but it is now for good. Forever it's done. We've won the victory. God's people win. Now here's how Revelation 12 in verses 10 and 11 describes the end of this holy week and when all authority comes. Revelation 12, 10 and 11, out of that text it says this, now the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come because of the blood of the Lamb. Now that's what I want you to know 
about Palm Sunday. Just a, a simple teaching. This is just a setup. There's no smashed ball here. It's just kind of a setup. But if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'd like for us to look at the second of three teachings that I'm not going to teach on at all today, but I will next week. The coming kingdom offers a choice between two kingdoms. And so you'll know what we'll be talking about. Number one, the kingdom of self. Number two, the kingdom of God. Do you understand how you're and my friends who are totally apart from the truth of the gospel, do you know how they view life? I mean, they don't view life like we have the privilege as Christians of viewing it. For all they know, there's one kingdom, and it's the kingdom of self. And I'm going to do my very best next week to help them understand why that particular kingdom is not the kingdom that they want. It's not the kingdom you want for them, for your loved ones, your friends. It is not. And I'm going to try to tell the stories that are going to help to put perspective to this idea. It's going to be a bit of storytelling of just saying, look, 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 folks, you want to rethink the kingdom of self. It is not what you think it is. I will promise you, God will promise you, it is not what you think it is. So we're going to contrast those two kingdoms next week. So let's go to number three. Number three, the coming kingdom offers a change in one's life. So not only is there a choice, there's a change. And you see there are two uh, subpoints that are there in your outline, a change in who we are. I I'm going to hold that till next week. I'm not going to teach on it, but it's going to be verse 17, and this is what verse 17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Do you know the seeker today who, who really is looking for answers to life, and he, he's seeking for, and she's seeking for something in life? Do you know they have no concept at this point that, that literally there is a better life that does not necessarily have better circumstances. In fact, do you know that many people have pushed aside Christianity because they've seen that many Christians have worse circumstances than many who are not Christians? And they think, well, you know what? I, 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 didn't, get a, I didn't get better life. They're saying I don't have better life circumstances. And you know, it's true. But they don't quite understand yet Hopefully next week they understand it a lot better. At least our friends will. They're going to understand this, that no, you get a better life. And often the better life has no better circumstances. But you have a better life. And they have to scratch their head and say, explain that. And that, Lord willing, is what we're going to do next week. By the way, you're in my friend's who don't understand the kingdom of God, when they hear the kingdom of who? Did you say Satan? The, do you really believe there's a Satan? I want to address that next week. Well, yeah, there is a Satan, and here's why we believe it, and, and you know, here's just a little bit of thought about it to maybe turn their thinking that, well, maybe there is another kingdom. Maybe there is another leader. Very important. When we come to the second point, I'm not going to teach this next week. I'm going to teach it this week. 
The second subpoint there, a change in what we do. Look at verse 18 with me. Verse 18 says, now all these things are from God. Well, wait, wait, what are all these things? What he's referring to the new things in verse 17. If man, man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away, all things new. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And look what it says, Christian. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You understand the concept of reconciliation where two parties are, are, are divided from one another. And here's God and here we are. And, and, and we have to be reconciled. And so as we read the text a little further, and what they will see next week is how we get reconciled. But most of us as Christians know it's through the blood of Christ. It's what he's done. That's the only way that we're reconciled as a, a sinful people to a holy God. And that's when we get the work of Christ on our behalf and we're reconciled to him. But it says that he gives to us a ministry of reconciliation. Huh. Do you know it doesn't say he gives to the church leadership the ministry of reconciliation? He doesn't say I give the, the program of the church the ministry of reconciliation, though certainly part of what we do. But he gives to us, uh, the new creatures, he gives to us this ministry of reconciliation. That means he gives to us this incredible privilege of now announcing the great news that you can be a friend of God. Did you know that? You can be a friend of God. Do you know you can have God just pour out love over you in a way that you could never imagine? And he says, that's what I've given to you who are new cre creations. I've given you this ministry of reconciliation. And then look at verse 19. Verse 19 goes a little bit further and it says, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation, which is the, the message of reconciliation, which we literally, that's the idea of he has placed upon us that incredible job. It's a, it's a past tense in the Greek, and it's a once for all. So the day we become believers, he places on us this ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation, and he's saying to his people, now, you go out and, and you be reconcilers. You go out and, 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 and that, let that be your life. So we come to verse 20, and it tells us, therefore, we are and he calls us now ambassadors. I mean, he's laying layer over layer saying, ah, you're ambassadors for Christ. And I love this. As though God were making an appeal through us. An appeal through us. So we are his messengers. We're his representatives. And then when it says for Christ, ambassadors for Christ, that carries the idea in his place. I wrote in my notes, not that I would say anything necessarily, but I am. I just put the word wow, exclamation point. Wow. He, you, mean, you mean instead of Christ who's not here now because he's dead, risen, and resurrected, I mean resurrected and now, now he's been ascended into heaven. You know, he's not here to tell the story anymore. 
He's not here to preach it anymore. He's not here to, to tell people, hey, you can be reconciled to me. But he says, what I've done is I've placed that on you. I've placed it on my people. And you're in my place. And I'm not going to be saying it, but you're going to be saying it. I find it so interesting. I've come back from the Middle East. And, and being in that region of the world, and you see how illegal. You know, all the churches, when we were in Dubai, the week before we get there, all the churches got shut down in the emirate we're in where Dubai is. Uh, technically, they were given two warehouses an hour outside of town and said all churches can choose on their own when they use them and they can worship if they worship in one of those two warehouses. I mean, do you know if you share your faith with a Muslim? Man, the penalty is severe. Oh, you, you can, an expatriate, somebody who's not from there, yeah, you can talk about it, it doesn't matter, but no, don't you talk to a Muslim. So I'm telling you, there's not a whole lot of the message going out there, and that's the stories that I tell you about the dreams and visions. God says, you can't. This is a unique situation here. You really can't to these particular people. So for these particular people, I'll use dreams. I'll use, I'll use you know, visions. I'll just kind of go around the process. It'll still happen. But we have this incredible freedom here. He says, so I'm placing it with you, and you are the storyteller of my reconciliation. As though God were entreating through us, it says. So allegiance to Christ assumes declaring his love for others. Okay, there's the setup. I want to close asking you, would you allow me for just three, four minutes, would you allow me to talk to you as a family? I mean, as your pastor? I know some of you, I'm not your pastor, you might be visiting with somebody, but most of you, whether I'm a good one, bad one, indifferent, I don't know, but, but I am your pastor. I'd like to talk to you just a minute as the flock, as the family. Or maybe you would allow me to talk to you as a team. I think a perimeter is a team. I have the privilege of being the coach. In scripture, it's called an equipper. I don't just teach you, I'm to equip you. If you've heard me say, and I would understand why you would hear this, but if you have heard me say, you gotta get out and share your faith. You gotta go witness. You know what, that's, a, that's not the message. I, I'd be foolish to simply say, you go out and share your faith. It's your duty. You go do it. It's what God's told us to do. Go do it. It may be truth to that, but uh, no. That would be saying this, that I did not make clear verse 14 of our text. If you look at verse 14, it says... For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. Now, you could read that in the English and say, well, is that our love for Christ compels us to do the things God tells us to do? Do you know in this text, I am convinced the teaching of this text is that 
it is Christ's love for us that compels us. You know what I want you to hear me say? So it's the last words. That's what I want you to hear. No, I want you to know how much God loves you. And if you see the love of God and you start realizing, hey, there are two kingdoms and the kingdom of Satan as attractive as it may be for a season, for some people, I'm telling you, the, burble, the bubble burst, it is not good. It leads to destruction. It leads to eternity separated from God. It is a horrible way to live. And there is a kingdom of God that is literally on this earth, and it has come now. And it is coming now, and it will come in a new way, as you'll see next week. It'll come in a new way and a final way at some point in time. But this kingdom is real. And you and I who can say, you know, I'm not very attractive. I don't have a whole lot going for me. I don't have a lot of money. And, you know, I don't have a lot of influence. I don't even have a lot of friends. I I just, I feel a little insecure. But you're a child of the king. You get that? I mean, you're in a special, unique place in this world that only God's people possess. I mean, we're in the most unique place. We're in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom wins, folks. We win. We've already declared our victory. We just got to clean up the mess. And we'll take people with us in the process, and we start thinking that way. it's, It's the greatest treat of all treats. And people can go to their deathbed and can say, you know what? I didn't make a lot of money, and I didn't have fame, and I didn't do this, but you know what? I had the king as my father, and I lived in royalty, and I had the right and privilege. I mean, I had the right and privilege to be a reconciler. Oh my gosh, I mean, there's not a whole lot better. We just got the wrong perspective when we start missing this incredible picture of the kingdom. You know, I, I'm asked by young people now, because I'm an old pastor, and a lot of the young pastors view, they look at me, you're old. So they say, before you die, would you tell me this? And they, they say, if you could only tell me a few certain, just one or two or three things that you would encourage me to do or to focus on, what would you do? I don't have to think for a second. I've answered that question a hundred times, I bet. You've probably heard me say it in some form or fashion. But I say this. You know, there's a text. It's, it's Matthew 6.33. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Everything else is going to be added to you. And if you want to make that simple, how you seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, I call it three criteria for kingdom greatness. I prayed this this morning for my children. I do every day. I prayed it for my grandchildren. I do virtually every day. I, I pray it for my, my dearest friend. I, 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 this is it. You just focus on these three things, Christian. Number one, be a sincere worshiper. You worship every week with God, corporately whenever you can, and then privately every day. Learn how to worship. Just learn how to worship God. I'm not talking about doing my little devotion. I got my reading. I did my... Worship God. If you don't know how, come and ask. We'll show you how. Number two, 
be a faithful, not necessarily fruitful, but be a faithful disciple maker. Always be trying to introduce other people to Christ. And then thirdly, be an effective disciple trainer. Always be investing your life in just a few children or a few youth or a few adults, whoever's further behind you spiritually, pull them along with you and just say, I'm focusing on you. I pray for you. I work with you. I'm helping you. I'm just, I'm asking, all I'm asking you, just a few. Just come on. I want you to come along. Come along. Come along. People that do that, they see God's kingdom and his righteousness and the things added from it. So I'm going to ask that even though God has told us, let's do it, we've got to look at the love of God and see how much he loves us that compels us, it's still not going to be easy, particularly for those of us that are introverts. I know that. That's why we're doing GBI, GBI. If you've been a part of us, you know, greet, befriend, and invite. And I'm telling you, there's no time. There's no time as easy as Easter. And so I'm going to encourage you. We got Easter, and we got investigative form. I fight to keep investigative form on the calendar. As much as there's downside to my use of time, this, that, and the other, in terms, we, I say, no, no, no. The lost take priority. And let's expose them to a place where it is friendly, it is enjoyable, and it is helpful to understand the faith of Christianity. So all I'd say is this, Christian, would you, with me, would you focus this holy week on the love of God for you? And let that compel you till you find yourself over these next weeks saying, oh God, let me greet let me befriend, let me invite, and let me be an ambassador who's a reconciler of people to you. That would be a great blessing. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, grant that we might be able to, to see your love and so clearly that we would be compelled to be reconcilers of people to you. And so we ask, would you grant us in our lack of confidence and our inferiorities and our lack of knowledge and all the things that scare us from being an ambassador for you, would you just use us and we're going to invite you. Let your power come in our hearts. Set up unique situations as much as you reveal yourself as as who you are in the presence of Muslim people and dreams and visions, would you in such a supernatural way empower and use me to be the one that proclaims the good news. So God, just cause it to happen and may we see your kingdom. May we celebrate its coming this week as we never have. We ask it in the strong name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.